am Rich Fogel, producer of Justice League, and you are listening to JLU Cast. Just imagine. The mightiest heroes of our time. Superman. Batman. Flash. Green Lantern. Wonder Woman. Hot Girl. John Jones, Manhunter from Mars. Have banded together as the Justice League to stamp out the forces of evil wherever and whenever they appear. The Fire and Water Podcast Network proudly presents... JLU Cast. Hello and welcome to the 15th episode of JLU Cast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, covering the animated adventures of the Justice League and their eventual evolution into Justice League Unlimited. I'm one of your hosts, Cindy Franklin. And I'm Chris Franklin, and we're back with the second episode of Season 2, Hablo Raza, which introduces the series version of one of the Justice League's oldest foes, Amazo. Now, we can't hope to live up to the awesomeness of our Rich Fogel interview last time, but luckily this is a great episode with some great performances for us to discuss. And don't forget, you can always listen to those. You can go back and listen and leave us a comment on old episodes as well as current ones. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And we'll get to feedback at the end of this episode. And I have a hard time pronouncing Hebla Rasa because I, before this episode came out, I had never heard that term. I know it's Latin for blank slate. Mm-hmm. I had never heard that term, and I actually remember that at the same time, I think there was a Robin story that Chuck Dixon wrote around the same time that had the same title. Mm. And I remember saying something back when I was on the Dixon verse boards. Right. And saying something, oh, that's the name of a Justice League story. And he's like, well, it means blank slate and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know what it meant. So. Oh. <laughs> I love you. I love you too. I just never had heard it before. So Watchtower Files. So getting into the Watchtower Files, Amazo was introduced in Justice League of America's third appearance, Brave and the Bold number 30, June, July 1960, the series' final tryout issue before getting their own title. Created by writer Gardner Fox, artist Mike Sikowski, and editor Julia Schwartz, Amazo was an android designed by the mad scientist Professor Ivo to drain the powers of the Justice League. Amazo could then duplicate the League's powers but Ivo's ultimate goal was to use those powers to create an elixir that would grant him immortality. Ivo did indeed succeed in creating and ingesting that formula, but the League defeated Amazo using their own weaknesses against him. Amazo would return to plague the League, often without his creator, revived by villains also eager to destroy the team. Amazo preferred to stay deactivated in his state of electric sleep, but his massive power set was too tempting for mad scientists and comic writers to ignore. Amazo fought the Man of Steel one-on-one several times, and Superman introduced an infamous device to defeat him, the Supermobile, in Action Comics number 41, March 1978. You have a little one of that. Yes, and the Superpowers one, but yeah, that specifically the one that was designed, basically it was designed to make a toy, and mm. yeah, I have the toy, the Corgi, the Corgi Jr. I don't have the big Corgi one, but yeah. Amazo was one of the early villains that reformed Justice League, often called Justice League Detroit, fought in JLA number 241 through 243 in 1985. After years of fighting solo heroes, Professor Ivo, who became hideously disfigured as a result of his immortality formula, actually defeated the Justice League Detroit in the final issues of the JLA title number 258 through 261 in 86 and 1987. Ivo managed to kill several members and force Martian Manhunter to disband what was left of the team. In the post-crisis era and beyond, Amazo continued to be used as a final boss type villain who would show up and challenge the heroes. Ivo and Amazo were the main antagonists in the first arc of Brad Meltzer's relaunch of Justice League of America in 2006. 
As Rich Fogle revealed in our interview last episode, he convinced Bruce Timm, who was not a fan of Amazo, to use the character on the series as an analog for Marvel's Super Adaptoid. The Super Adaptoid was also an android with the ability to absorb and mimic superpowers, debuting in the Captain America strip in Tales of Suspense number 52, October 1966. Primarily a Captain America villain, the Super Adaptoid has managed to gain the powers of most of the major Marvel characters over the past 50 plus years. Okay, so let's jump into Habla Raza. I think I said that right. I hope I did. Originally aired October 4th, 2003. So again, they're showing both parts together at this point. Written by Stan Berkowitz, directed by Dan Reba, with music by Lolita Ritmanis. In our voice cast, we have Maria Canals as Hawk Girl, Phil Lamar as Green Lantern, Kevin Conroy as Batman, Carl Lumley as John Jones, George Newbern as Superman, Susan Eisenberg as Wonder Woman, and Michael Rosenbaum as The Flash, which is, of course means all the Justice League is in this episode. Mm-hmm. Clancy Brown returns as Lex Luthor. Robert Picardo is Amazo. Lisa Edelstein returns as Mercy Graves. Tom Kenny is the search leader. Masera is the beautiful woman, and Ashley Ednar is the little girl. High above Metropolis, Superman and Hot Girl battle a fleeing Lex Luthor. They manage to damage his power suit, but Lex blasts a nearby cruise ship in the harbor, giving him the distraction he needs to escape. While the heroes come to the rescue across town at Lex Corps Tower, former Luthor's chauffeur and current CEO Mercy Graves is shocked to find a damaged and dying Lex in her office. Lex begs Mercy for help, but she openly relishes in seeing her former boss in misery. I'm... I'm... Sick, dying, and you couldn't do it somewhere else. After all I've done for you. You mean letting me, a lowly chauffeur, run your company while you were away? Oh, was I flattered. But then I realized there was no one else you could trust to give it back. Only me, your loyal dog. Well, let me tell you something. This dog took LexCorp out of the hole you dug and brought up the stock 38%, all on her own. So if you think I'm ever going to let you... Looks like there's some life in the old suit after all. While Mercy rattles on about how she has saved the company Lex nearly destroyed, he reaches up and throttles her with his armored hand. Lex demands to know where Professor Ivo is, but Mercy reveals she fired one of the company's best scientists to save money. A somewhat repowered Lex flies off to Ivo's home in the Mountain View District outside the city. Having rescued the passengers aboard the cruise ship, the Justice League begins its search for Luthor. Superman asks Martian Manhunter to perform a psychic sweep of the city, but Jean is hesitant, having never tried it before. Once the gate is opened, it might not be so easy to close. I realize it's a lot to ask, but Luthor... I know. He must be stopped. Smart guy. Outside Metropolis, Lex arrives at Ivo's home, only to find him in bed. Dead. He is then approached by a towering gray android. The synthetic man gently puts Ivo's dead hand back underneath the sheet it was under, then stares at Luthor, his red eyes glowing white for a bit. He scans Lex's entire body, and then his blank face mimics Luthor's features. In the center of Metropolis, Jean uses his telepathic powers to comb the city. He immediately finds Luthor, but the millions of other minds he touches overwhelms him. But I don't think he even likes me. I wish she'd wear some vinyl. I smell bad. I just know. Twenty shells a day, and I still can't get rid of it. Oh, 
How could anyone say I'm bald? You have a high bar in I should ask her how you what she wanted me. I should try it off. Rock kids, they don't appreciate me. I just need a roof over my head. That's all. And a drink. Yeah, a drink. Their petty worries and concerns nearly crippling him. He flies off to escape the deluge of despair he has opened, but can't close. Back in Ivo's laboratory home, Lex attempts to repair his power suit and convinces the childlike android that he and his father, Ivo, were very close friends. When will Professor come back? Never. He has to. You miss him. So do I. He was one of my best friends. He was? Almost like a brother. And he would have wanted me to look after you if anything ever happened to him. So, you're going to take care of me now? Mm-hmm. But you're going to have to take care of me, too. Otherwise, I'll go to sleep and never wake up again. As such, Lex will take care of him in his steed. The obedient child agrees to help Luther, which includes retrieving fuel for his armor. Later, at a nearby government facility, he does just that, scanning a defeated guard's body and replicating his fingerprints to gain entry. He mows through security forces and runs off with the fuel canister he came for. The sound of shots fired brings Hot Girl on the scene, and she quickly trips the android up with her mace and grabs the canister. He takes one look at her and then grows wings and a mace out of his malleable body. Temporarily shocked by what she sees, Hot Girl is still able to take the android down again, but he eventually uses his, his mace to knock the facility's electrified fence at her, allowing him to fly off with the canister. At the lab, Luthor is looking over the android's schematics, marked with the acronym AMAZO. When AMAZO returns, he sees that Ivo's duplication program works. They discuss the android's encounter with the Justice League, and Lex spins a tale of how he dreamed of building an empire, only to have that empire destroyed by the League. He talks of a new dream of rebuilding an empire and handing it over to a son he never had. Let me tell you a story. It's about a young man whose dream was to build a great empire. He succeeded, but then he lost it all because of seven very bad people. Hawk Girl and her friends. The Justice League. The Justice League. That young man was me, of course. And now I have another dream. It's to take back control of that empire. And then, when the time comes, I want to hand it down to someone who will continue my work. The son I never had. But none of that can happen until you give the Justice League what they deserve. Of course, Amazo buys all of this, including Lex's instructions to destroy the heroes. At LexCorp Tower, Superman and Batman pay Mercy a visit. She tells him she'll contact them if Lex reaches out to her, and Batman gives her a signal device to do so. But the world's finest duo aren't fully buying her lie. She was a little too cooperative, wasn't she? You're learning. I wouldn't mind hearing what she's really thinking. Deep in the woods outside of Metropolis, John continues to struggle with the thoughts that have flooded his mind. When Superman contacts him, he destroys his ear communicator, transforms into his true Martian form, and wanders even deeper into the forest. Back in the city, Hot Girl fills in Wonder Woman and Flash on the android she fought, which they initially believed was designed specifically to mimic her abilities, weapons, and even personality. On Metropolis Square's Jumbotron, they catch live news footage of Amazo fighting police officers elsewhere in the city. 
The leaguers arrive and engage the android. He quickly copies Wonder Woman's strength, Flash's speed, and even Green Lantern's power ring, immediately putting the heroes on the ropes. Elsewhere, Mercy Graves attempts to call Lex at Ivo's home, but he collapses on the way to the phone. And in an alleyway nearby, Batman and Superman monitor her calls in the Batmobile. The call is traced to Ivo's home, and Batman notes that the recently fired Ivo is an MD as well as an expert in nanotechnology. They then get a call from Green Lantern, who tells them about the android and how he can copy their powers just by looking at them. Batman, it's Lantern. We found Hawkgirl's robot. Where are you? Don't even think about it. Somehow this thing's copying all our powers just by looking at us. We can't just stay here. That's exactly what you're going to do. You come here and all you'll do is make him even stronger. Ah! Lantern! But Amazo manages to use all of his strength and with Hawkgirl's mace, breaks Green Lantern's power bubble. He's about to deliver a blow that will kill both Green Lantern and Wonder Woman when Superman arrives and smashes into him with a long steel girder. He fashions a blindfold with a metal letter from a storefront and sneaking up on the behemoth, welds it in place over his eyes. The two engage in battle, but the android use of the other leaguer's powers gives him the edge. While Superman is temporarily down, he removes the blindfold and scans the last son of Krypton's body. An outline of the S-shield appears on his chest as well as wings, a mace, bracelets, and a power ring. The all-powerful one-man Justice League slowly approaches the weary man of tomorrow. Hera, help us! She better. No one else can now. Okay, in our opening battle between Lex and Superman and Hot Girl, we get more proof that Superman is being portrayed tougher here. Mm -hmm. He takes Lex blast and even pushes them back at him with his hands, kind of Fleischer style. Mm -hmm. I love the exchange between him and Hot Girl. I don't need any help. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> uh, I do think it's cool how Superman and Hot Girl work together to disable Lex's power suit because he blasts the chest piece with his heat vision and then she throws her mace and knocks a whole, his whole shoulder off of the right. armor. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I, the DCAU writers have always had a great handle on Lex. He's on the ropes, but he knows Superman isn't going to chase after him if he endangers a boat full of innocent people. Right, and Hot Girl pauses for a minute, like, and he's like, come on, you know? Yeah, she's like, we can catch him later. He's like, we can catch him later, because yeah. she's, she's willing to chase after him. But Superman's like, no, we got to stop and save the people. Mm -hmm. This is what we got to do. So yeah, I, I, th I thought that was great. There's great little bits like that, that and insight into all the characters, but yeah. So I know it's been nearly 17 years since we first saw these episodes, but do you recall being surprised to find Mercy was in charge of LexCorp? I remember thinking that would have been the obvious choice because, you know, like she said, she could have been trusted to turn it back over to him. Yeah. You know? Well, and really, if it was going to be any character that was established, it would have had to have been her because mm -hmm. it basically was nobody else mm -hmm. that they established as being, you know, involved in LexCorp the way she was. Now, Mercy was a regular on Superman the Animated Series, primarily acting as Luthor's chauffeur, as she states, but also acting as a bodyguard, assassin, and as indicated later, perhaps other things. Uh-huh. Uh, she was his second in all aspects, and of course, Lex is first in everything anyway, so <laughs> when you're Lex Luthor's second, you're real second. Right. <laughs> Lex took Mercy in off the streets after she tried to steal his briefcase, so his claims of making her are somewhat valid, if completely manipulative. 
But this is Lex Luthor we're talking about. Right. It's Lex Flippin' Luthor, as Superman would later say in the series. Mercy has just a bit of Miss Tessmacher and Miss Morganberry from the Ruby Spears series in her. She is also a one-woman stand-in for the rotating all-female staff that John Byrne gave Lex in his run on Superman. It was heavily implied Lex kept them around for more than just their job skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mercy is voiced again as she was on Superman the Animated Series by Liesl Edelstein, who's probably best known for her role on the Hugh Laurie series House, which ran for seven years. Mercy has appeared in other animated films and series and has even made it into live action in BVS and on the Supergirl series. In the comics, she was introduced as a rogue Amazon working for Lex during Batman No Man's Land. I thought that was kind of strange. Yeah, I mean, why do that? You know, it's an established character. Why pull that? Yeah, I don't know why they did that. Yeah, kind of weird. But I'm not the biggest fan of No Man's Land. I know people are like, <gasps> but I just, uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> although she seems initially concerned, Mercy is clearly loving seeing Lex suffer, something she's never got to really enjoy before. Right, she's got a taste of power, and she's like, you know, she doesn't have to cow to him. Right, right. He's on the back foot now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought that was, because at first she's got this kind of shocked look on her face, and then he's like, help me. She's like, he's like, you're dying you're sick, dying, you know, boo-hoo, basically. Yeah. It's like, woo. <laughs> She's reading in the riot act, though, and, you know, how she saved the company and brought the stock up 38%, and then he just reaches up and chokes her. Yeah. It's like, dang. <laughs> he reestablishes his dominance. Yeah. Now, I would have thought Lex being convicted of his crimes would have tanked Lex Corp. and sent it into bankruptcy, but since it was so ingrained in the running of Metropolis... You know, maybe even the city would have tried to bail it out to keep the whole infrastructure of the Going, city from yeah. collapsing. Like he said, it was the city he built. Right. Yeah. So they almost had to say, basically mm-hmm. help it survive. Yeah. So Professor Ivo was LexCorp's most brilliant scientist, although we never heard of him before. But, you know, it's a big company. So, mm. you know, it, it makes sense that we might not have heard of this guy on Superman the Animated Series. Lex has got countless nameless scientists working for him. This just happens to be... The one that, you know, was an MD and could probably help him fix his armor right. as well. So, I do like the fun exchange between Superman and John. You know, he's he's telling him, you know, when he's, they're talking about doing the, the psychic sweep. And, uh, and he's like, you know, he must be stopped. You know, the way he looks at him and Superman's like, smart guy. You know, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> considering where we're going to go with John in this episode, it was nice to get a little bit of humor out of him. I mean, he's not, you know... A, a, a laugh fest ever anyway, but yeah. things are going to get really dark for him here in a little bit. So, so Professor Ivo is very much dead. Oh, yeah. I mean, dead, dead, dead. And especially what we see later in the second part. But, yeah. You know. Yeah, but it's kind of ironic that in the comics he was searching for immortality, and here we meet him, he's already deceased. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of a flip this board there. Then we meet the android, who we will later know as Amazo. What did you think of his design here? The only thing that that bothered me about it, because, you know, if he's wanting him to be able to fit in, is that he made him taller than everybody. Mm. That's the only thing. Otherwise, you know, it would be a malleable form. It would be, you know, standard generic form. But 
you know, where he's so tall, that puts him at a disadvantage. You know what I mean? Maybe it's kind of like, you know, they say, I know in some versions of Frankenstein and maybe even in the original novel. That's what I was thinking of they, too. He built him at, like he scaled him up basically to make it easier to work with. Mm. You know, it, it basically, so maybe that's why Mezo's so tall. Right. You know, and I mean, what's to say he couldn't like, he ne- we never see him become smaller, but the kind of. Because this one getting would be, you know. Yeah. <laughs> He have an enormous fun snooker. Mm-hmm. That goes without saying. He's going to be Oof. very popular. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> you know you love me. I love you, yes. Um, you know, the action figures they made of Amazo, they made the standard gray one, and then they made the one with wings mm-hmm. and Hot Girl's Maze, and they made a gold one, but spoiler warnings, they made a gold one, and they made a translucent one. And they all—they're all standard, the same size as the other Justice League figures. I know. So they—they they, they goofed on that. It looks cool, but yeah, they really—they you know—but they used a lot of the same body parts over and over in that line. So he's definitely more super adaptoid in his looks, mm-hmm. you know. Let's—but let's face it, the comic design for Amazo is pretty. Oh, it's kind of yeah. It's pretty silly with mm-hmm. the red Ming the Merciless skull cap and the pointed ears, which make no sense, and mm-hmm. the weird. When he first showed up, he seemed like to have like a weird. Almost like 1920s bathing suit on, and then mm. they changed it to where he had the weird shoulder, big shoulder pads, and I don't, I don't know. It's just, I mean, I can't. The design wouldn't look very threatening in animation. I don't think. Maybe I, th- I think it was a good idea to redesign it. Other people might disagree, but you know, I can see why they redesigned it. I do have a question though. This is this is me being logic lad here. I don't. We didn't discuss this, but Amazo scans Lex and even mimics his features. Briefly, when he scans the Flash later, he picks up some of his personality, which we'll see in part two, like he's going to do something that we'll point out later. So why didn't he know Lex was a manipulative egomaniac and question what he was saying to him? Or why didn't he pick up on, why didn't he himself pick up those traits from him? Maybe because he was new. I mean, you know, it just, he wasn't farther along in his programming. Maybe, maybe he hadn't evolved jumping ahead here but yeah uh, i just it just it just struck yeah, me today yeah. yeah while i was writing down those so because superman asked jean tries this potentially dangerous psychic sweep he actually does find lex it shows him see lex at mm-hmm. ivo's house but the psychic overload damages him so badly he never even tells his teammates here's the biggest problem i have with this whole episode right What's, here okay he tells superman i've never done this before this might be dangerous but yet, he goes off by himself to do this. No teammate to spot him, quote unquote. Yeah. For you know this potential backlash. Why didn't somebody say, "Hey, let me go with you"? Right. I mean, that is just you know. Yeah. That is just because they wouldn't have had this if they went with him. We wouldn't have had this emotional journey with him in this episode. I know, but it's just. You <laughs> yeah, know. it does seem pretty irresponsible. The other, I know they're all looking for Lex and everything, but yeah, yeah. Some of the psychic sweep dialogue is interesting. The one guy wishes his girlfriend would wear more vinyl. Yeah. Which is pretty kinky. <laughs> um, and it's not leather, it's vinyl, which is even more, I don't know, it seems even more kinkier than leather or something. I don't know. I don't know, it makes me think of the, you know, whole S&M scene. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, mm-hmm. yeah. Another woman thinks she smells bad no matter how many times she takes a shower. Uh-huh. Which is another weird thing. And there's some, some fairly subversive stuff for, again, what's supposed to be a kid's cartoon. Right. I mean, right. you can read some stuff into this. and There's quite a bit you can read into this. I mean, it's done so quickly that unless you're paying attention, you know, you're not going to catch it if you're not. Yeah. 
But still, yet now that I'm like, well, what, what? Because you had me, you said, what did he say? Yeah. And we rewound it, and you was like, I, I said, I think he said, I wish she'd wear more vinyl. Yeah. Because she's like, I, I, I want him to love me, but I'm not even sure he likes me. And then yeah. he's like, I wish she'd wear more vinyl. Yeah, just like. <laughs> Maybe they're saying something else, and just our minds are in the gutter. No, that's know. what he says. Cause, okay. Yeah, because I've heard it again today when I was taking notes and stuff. Uh, the whole sequence is really well done, though, because there's all these floating heads and voices, and it mm-hmm. really sells Jean's breakdown like you just can't turn this off. It's kind of like what they've done sometimes when they've showed Superman super hearing. Right. And re- like on Smallville and in Man of Steel mm-hmm. and things like that, you know, so when he was young. So so now we're back at Ivo's house, and we get another comic book look for Lex, the old mad scientist lab coat with the flap. He looks yeah. like Lionel Atwell in like any universal horror movie, basically. I'm pretty sure Lyle Talbot... Who played Lex in Adam Man vs. Superman movie serial with Kirk Allen. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure he wore this at some point, too. And, the, and like I said, the comic book Lex was often seen in this type of outfit in the 40s. And particularly the 40s and sometimes the 50s. So, again, the writers really do a great job with Lex. Because he's you know he manipulates Amazo's emotions. And it, it's perfectly performed with dripping syrup by Clancy Brown, with just a hint of sour underneath. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's he's just so awesome. He's definitely one of the DCAU's greatest assets. And it was cool to see him, like, show up on The Mandalorian. We were watching, right. like, that's Clancy Brown. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the seven-foot-tall guy, that's probably Clancy Brown. And he starts talking, like, yeah, that's Clancy Brown. Yeah. <laughs> Even under all that makeup, you know, it's him. Yeah, it's the Kurgan. <laughs> it's better to burn out than to fade away. That's right. Ramirez. Uh, <laughs> Amazo is voiced by Robert Picardo, who gives an equally great performance. He voiced Black Hawk in The Savage Time last season, but is best known to genre fans as another AI, the holographic doctor on Star Trek Voyager. Right. Yeah. So this facility that Amazo robs, is it a power plant? It kind of looks like one, but it's pretty small. Is he stealing plutonium, uranium? Some of the idioms. Yeah, something, they, the, you know, Prometheum from the comics. I don't know. I don't He's stealing something. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the look on Hot Girl's face when he mimics her wings and mace, that's just priceless because there's like this, like, close-up of her and there's no movement. It's just her eyes are huge. She's like, uh, you know, it's just like... <laughs> he yells at her trademark growl as he goes into battle, yeah. too. So, he absorbed a bit of her personality as well. So maybe Lex is just deceptive enough that his layers of thought are too hard for this young android to unscramble, maybe. And man, Lex is really laying on thick with his Pinocchio, isn't he? You know, he's like the son I never had. Yeah. Yeah, he's good, man. He's good. Yeah. (laughs) That's where he got, I got where he is today. Uh, I love how he paints the Justice League as the bad guys. And, you know, while Lex will always hold a special place in his black heart for Superman, he really is after the whole league for bringing him down, as we saw last season. I right. Mean, just, you know, he tr- even formed the Injustice League, or, and then you know, and then or Injustice Gang, whatever they called him, and then I um, can't remember which one they called him, Justice League, I think. And then you know, now he's now he's doing this. I mean, he doesn't. He's not just after Superman now, and it's kind of funny because throughout this, I mean, there's a familiarity between Superman and Lex, but it's not nearly as personal as the Superman Dark Side feud. That we saw last time because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think part of it too is maybe psycho- psychologically Superman just can't hate Lex that much because Lex is a human. Mm. He is a small creature that he could literally crush, crush. with his pinky, mm-hmm. you know. 
and Darkseid's a big rocky god that he can beat the shit out of. Right. So he he channels all rage into hating that guy because he Ma and Paul he can't, can take it. He can take it. It's like just like he told yeah. him in the last very last episode. You can take it, can't you, big fella? You know. Yeah. So so, but I mean, he never. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. When he didn't have his powers, he you know broke Lex's jaw and. <laughs> In legacy, yeah, but he never he never gets that personal with Lex, you know. I mean, he obviously and this Lex and Superman didn't grow up together as buddies, like then you know the old comics or Smallville. Smallville. But still, he does, you know, he never. I, I let don't get me wrong, he's not a fan of Lex Luthor. He obviously doesn't trust him. He doesn't like him, but he doesn't get enraged like he does with Darkseid, which I think is interesting because obviously Lex Luthor is Superman's. Arch enemy, right? You know, he's his Joker, you know, or Joker's his Luthor. If you want everyone to say it, but yeah, so it's cool to see Batman go with Superman to talk to Mercy. Interrogation is more Batman's game. Plus, he knows her from World's Finest. Finest. Yeah, yeah. I, I always love that fight between her and Harley. Oh my gosh! It's, they're just beating the crap out of each other, going back and forth as Lex and Joker are like negotiating. Mm-hmm. You know, basically negotiating their their team up, basically. <laughs> To take out Superman and Batman, and they and they're both just like, and and you know, Mercy's like hose are all ripped, and and her hat's like half hanging off, and yeah. Harley's all beat up, and and you know, then she ends up like passing out in the Joker's lap or something. If I remember right, it's been a long time since I watched it, but yeah, yeah, it's good job, Slugger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Batman says, "You two were close." Lots implied there. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, and he, he kind of raises his eyebrow when he says it. And I love his, yeah, right, response to saying she's a different person now. So, you know, he's, uh-huh. yeah, he's not buying it. And then, you know, in Superman, you know, Superman says they're not buying it. And Batman's, you're learning. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> he's taking, it's like, you know, at this type of thing, Superman, and, and later on when they're in the, sitting in the Batmobile, it's like, they're like two cops. Yeah, it's a buddy, buddy cop It's like movie, a buddy yeah. cop movie. And Superman's got a cup of coffee. Uh-huh. And he's sitting there just like leaning in the Batmobile. And, and it's like, it's like the, the seasoned veteran that's, that knows it's like, he's like the cop that came from out of town. Mm. You know, he's like the, he's like maybe the cop from, from Smallville. <laughs> and he's, and Batman's the grizzled city cop. And now they're teaming up and, mm-hmm. and he's teaching him the ropes of how to work people and interrogate them and, Get information, and that's just that's what it feels like. <laughs> Superman says he'd really like to know what she's thinking, and this made me wonder: Does he contact Jean to say, "Hey, could you read the mind of this person without her permission?" You know, I, I mean, was he going to ask him to scan Mercy's mind to see? Right. And are we okay with that, or is that like going too far, or is that okay? I mean, what do you think? <laughs> He's a bad guy. All bets are off. Well, that's true. It's like, you know, yeah. She's not like she's, I mean, Mercy's obviously been involved in Lex's criminal mm-hmm. enterprise oh, in yeah. the past. So, yeah. So, yeah. Superman asks, any luck yet? And Jean answers, no. But like we said, he did find Lex. So mm-hmm. he's so distraught, he just won't tell him. Yeah. He just can't think straight. Yeah. We will get Jean's actual thoughts on what he's learned about humanity later. But here he sheds his more humanoid form, which is foreshadowing what he's going through here. Right, And he then right. just wanders off into the woods Bigfoot style, so. Yeah. So, I wonder why Hot Girl just correctly assumes Amazo is an android. She has more experience. 
with, with different life forms in but, general. Hmm, that's true. Probably so. Yeah, obviously she hung out at that. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm planet. saying. You know, she's got more experience with varied life forms. That's true. Yeah. So yeah. So she knew. I guess she knew he wasn't like an alien from another mm-hmm. planet or something. Wonder Woman believes he was specifically designed with her in mind, and I love Flash's reaction to him uh, to him even acting like Hot Girl. It even acted like me. Now that's scary. Uh-huh. <laughs> Wonder Woman is pretty pissy when she says, you forgot to mention he's as strong as I am. You know, I thought that was kind of funny because you'll get that back and forth through the series that sometimes her and Hot Girl are at odds. Don't quite G-Haw. And then by the end of the season, things will get real rough and it's going to take a long time for that wound to heal. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, it's just there's a little... There's a little bit of hmm, friction there between those two, but you got to figure they're a lot alike in a lot of ways. Right. And sometimes people that are a lot alike rub each other wrong, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so you had a problem with Amazo replicating the power ring. Yes. So explain. The, the power ring, you think about it. It has to be recharged. Mm-hmm. He has to draw from that source. And it's given to one person, you know, it's not a multiple power ring that's getting multiple split. It's one power ring that goes to one person. Yeah, usually it's portrayed that way. Sometimes they've shown it being otherwise, that you can make a duplicate off of and give it to somebody or something. But yeah, but for the most part, yeah. My thinking is he he replicates the ring and then he just taps into that same source. So it's basically like, he's like basically, it's like... Plugging into somebody else's cable, you know, or or he's got the password for somebody else's Netflix. I don't know ID or something. I don't know. I don't know. I just that 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 was just my thought. I mean, it is kind of weird, but he already made Hot Girl's mace, and it has the powers that the mace has. The you know the electricity and stuff. It's not just a blunt object. It's got the same whatever metal the nth metal properties. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he actually seems a little more inventive than Green Lantern usually does at this point in the series. He creates those little shards that Diana has to deflect. Right, right. Usually it's just all beam, 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 you know, mm-hmm. bubble, bubble, bubble. But, you know, they're like little, little, look like, like a little, I don't know, little splinters or something coming out at her. When he quips like Flash, you caught a line that is very similar to what another speedster will famously say. On the big screen over 10 years later. Yes. Yeah. Didn't figure on that one, did you? I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like, Pietro, is that you? <laughs> yeah. I thought that was, that was a good call. I, I didn't even catch that. So, yeah. That was good. So, the signal device Batman gives Mercy, was it also the phone tracer? Do you think that's what it was? Or did Batman bug her some other way? She got bugged. I don't, you know... But it's one of those cases, I don't know if it was, you know, a two-in-one or not. Yeah. I would think if you're Batman that he would have probably done, yes, it's a two-in-one, but there's also a bug in that office somewhere, too. Yeah, that's true, too. It's probably multiple bugs in there knowing Batman. Yeah. Uh, I like the urgency in Green Lantern's voice when he tells Superman not to come to them, and he just says he copies our powers just by looking at us, and that's all Superman needs to come in with his blindfold trick. Right. Which, Which I like. I like that. Uh, I like to see Superman portrayed as a thinking hero, not just a blunt object. Mm-hmm. So this is good. And he came up behind him, yep. you know? Yep, yep. And I mean, he came in quick. He used his speed to, mm-hmm. and he doesn't, you know, he's, I mean, he's got the flash of speed, but he still doesn't know what's going on at first. Their fight is very well done. All the fights in this, these two episodes are, are really, really well done. 
Superman keeps his distance when he can, but he's trying to take him out before he can take off the blindfold. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, coming in for a quick, you know, a barrage. quick jab and come back. Yeah, yeah. barrage of punches. Mazo taking on the look of the heroes is somewhat is the hallmark of the super adaptoid. So this version is definitely melding the DC and Marvel versions of that same concept. concept. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a it's a cool look. On to part two. Superman manages to evade Amazo's killing blow, and the two superpowered combatants test their abilities on one another. Superman manages to bring the android down temporarily, and then Batman takes over, telling Superman to stay back. Scanning the Dark Knight, Amazo is not impressed with his lack of powers, but Batman has something the others don't. Kryptonite. You don't have any powers. I have this. It's a package deal. You get our strengths, but you also get our weaknesses. The android feels the pain of the radiation poisoning just as Superman does and crawls away, falling from the building into the city reservoir below. Hot Girl questions why Batman carries kryptonite in his belt. You always carry kryptonite around with you? Call it insurance. And they say I'm scary. Lex hears a knock at Ivo's door and is somewhat surprised to find not a Mazo, but Mercy. She tells Lex about Superman and Batman's inquiries and warns him they will soon figure out where he's hiding. She helps him break down his power suit and they begin to pack up. In Metropolis, the League searches for the android. With no trace found, Superman, Green Lantern, and Flash head to Ivo's to follow up on Luthor while Wonder Woman flies off to find Jean. The Martian is still deep in the forest, lamenting his discovery that humans are angry and petty. He questions just what and who he is fighting for. The hatred shouldn't have surprised me. But the selfishness, the sheer volume of it, the cheap attempts to disguise it. What do you know? A fresh rabbit every now and then, and you're happy. At least you're honest. What am I fighting for? Who am I fighting for? He hides when a band of humans with flashlights approach, calling out for a little girl named Jennifer. Superman, Flash, and Green Lantern arrive at Ivo's, and the booby-trapped house explodes. They rescue what they can for the fire, but find no signs of Luther or the android, who, unbeknownst to them, is watching nearby, distraught that his home is gone. Mercy drives Lex to a warehouse he had prepared years earlier, lined with lead, to keep out prying Kryptonian eyes. Mercy tries to walk away, but Lex grabs her, telling her he knows she has missed him, missed the adventure, the transgressive acts they engaged in, and a few other things. You'll be okay here for a while. Still got the shielding you put in. You mean you didn't sell the lead for scrap? What would your accountant say? Lex, I'm doing you a favor here. No, you're not. You're doing this because you need to. I don't know what you're talking about. Face it, Mercy. You missed me. You missed the excitement. The sense of transgression, not to mention certain other things. You're not good for me, Lex. That much I know. So finish your suit and get out of here. Sorry, but I'm going to be around for a long, long time. Get used to it. 
You've got the whole Justice League after you. I've got an ally of my own now. And soon it's going to be just like old times around here. Maybe better. Mercy informs Lex that she thinks the relationship was a toxic one. And now that he has the Justice League after him, he's doomed. Lex tells her of the mysterious ally he has that can help settle the score. That ally is scanning the city, hoping to find his master. He eventually hears him yelling with Superman's super hearing and tracks him to the warehouse. After hitting on Mercy with some personality traits picked up from the Flash, Amazo then questions why Lex wants him to go back out and destroy the League. When Lex tells him, because I said so, the android responds, that isn't good enough anymore. In the woods, Jean scans the minds of the search party and learns how they are all worried for and giving their time selflessly to find that little girl. I'm freezing my butt off and I don't even know the kid, but I know how I'd feel if she was my little girl. Hey, wait up! I'll stay up all night if I have to. I don't care what it takes. I wish it were me instead of her. Only six years old. At the wreckage of Ivo's house, the League find Ivo's body and his notes on Amazo. Ivo created the duplication program so the android could actually evolve. The question is, into what? In the warehouse, Lex manipulates Amazo into believing he is setting him free to do what he wants and then fakes a massive pain attack while Mercy watches, having seen this act many times before. You don't want to help me get rid of the League? That's fine. I'll do it myself. It won't be easy, one against seven. I could get killed, but it's better this way, for both of us. You have your own life to live now. I've done all I can for you. Go, be happy. Go. I'll do it for you. I'll do it. Are you out of your mind messing with him like that? He could flatten you like an ant. <laughs> your concern is touching and not entirely unexpected. But Professor Ivo took that into account when he built him. This is a kill switch. There's a bomb at the base of his brain, and all I have to do is press this little button. Does he know about that? He doesn't need to. He's going to do what I want out of love, not fear. But unfortunately, love seldom lasts forever. John continues to hear the voices of the worried search party, and then the little girl herself, who in her mind apologizes to her mom for running away. He appears to her in his superheroic form and takes her to the search party. They rush to touch him and thank him for saving her. But overwhelmed once more, he phases through the ground and reappears on a nearby hillside. Having observed the whole scene, Wonder Woman surprises John with a hug and a knowing smile. Hot Girl spots Amazo flying through the city and alerts her teammates. Batman pulls the kryptonite on him again, thinking some people, even androids, never learn. But this android does learn, and he also evolves. He becomes resistant to the kryptonite and launches it at the arriving Superman as it explodes on his chest. The Man of Steel goes down, but the Flash is able to create a whirlwind to blow the radioactive dust away. Flash and Green Lantern engage Amazo, but Wonder Woman warns Jean to stay back so he can't copy his extraordinary powers. Luthor arrives, and the two double-team the heroes, taking down Flash, GL, and Wonder Woman. Before he can smash Diana with his fish, Jean appears before him, allowing him to scan his body. Luther tells him that he now has all their powers, to which Jean responds, Use them well. 
Amazo does, and in reading Lex's mind, finds out that everything he has been told is a lie. We are not your enemy. You know what to do. Yes, you know. Have all their powers. Use them well. So you lied to me. What? It was all a lie, wasn't it? I don't know what you're talking about. Then let me spell it out for you. I can read your mind, Lex. If that's true, then you know what this is, and that I'm willing to use it. On the defense, Lex pulls out the detonator and pushes the button. The android's head explodes, much to the League's shock and horror. His body stumbles for a moment, then his head begins to grow again from his shoulders. He tells Lex, now it's my turn. And the usually cool Luther panics and flies off. But Amazo grabs him with a beam from his power ring. The strain of trying to break away overpowers Lex's suit and he crashes to the roof below. The android rips his armor off, leaving only the life-preserving chest plate and a whimpering Luther. No! No, please! So small. All of you. And so meaningless. There's nothing I want from you anymore. None of you has anything to offer me now. He declares to the League that they, in effect, all humans, are small and meaningless. They can teach him nothing now. He looks up to the stars and, glowing with an eerie light, turns gold. He ascends skyward. Flash questions where he's going and Jean answers, where gods belong. Luther scoffs at the idea of this machine as God, but Superman reminds him if he ever returns, he'd better start praying. Oh, stop. He's just a machine. I don't care how much power he has. He's no God. Then why do I have a feeling that if he ever comes back, you're going to be doing a lot of praying? The next morning, Mercy Graves receives a phone call. From prison, Lex is demanding the best lawyers, the best doctors, etc. Mercy simply hangs up on him giving me one phone call, so listen carefully. I need the best lawyers in the country. I don't care what you have to pay for them. And doctors, I need them too. Bring them in from Europe if you have to. And are you listening? Hello? Hello? The Superman Amazo fight doesn't disappoint. It's evenly matched, but Superman experience gives him a little bit of edge. Right. I particularly like their heat vision blast where they're just like rotating around each other. That's really cool. So, Batman keeps kryptonite in his utility belt. Thoughts? <laughs> well, honestly, it's been established in the comics that super I mean, Batman has contingency plans in place. Yeah, that's true. And, I mean, it's its not surprising. No. I mean, it's really not. It's a little surprising that it's in his utility belt. <laughs> but think about what just, you know, what just happened. Yeah. You I, know? Yeah. I mean... I mean, Superman really did like go off on the world. Go rogue, yeah. Go rogue, you know, in that in that universe, even more so than the comic universe. And in the comics, of course, 
Superman, even before him and Batman got a little bit chummier when their mm-hmm. when their their frostiness started to fall post crisis, he gave Batman the piece of kryptonite, um, you know that uh, that he held on to, and of course that became a big plot point forever that Batman had the one that one chunk of kryptonite because kryptonite was a lot scarcer than it was in the Silver Age, you know. All right. So yeah, I like how Amazo reacts to the kryptonite. He's like a little scared kid. Like, you know, it's like, you know, which he pretty much is. Oh, yeah, it's like he's a, new. He's never felt pain before, mm-hmm. you know. It's, yeah, it's it's kind of often like, you know, how Superman, when we first see Superman react. I mean, honestly, how Christopher Reeve kind of reacts in Superman the movie. He's just like, I can't believe this is happening to me. You know, it's like, I've never felt this way before. Right. I mean, he never says anything, but just the way he acts, it's like, he just, you know, he doesn't whine or you know, anything, but he just... His eyes go wide and he just like crumples, you know, as he's backing, he's backing away from it, which is pretty much what Amazo does. Hot girl's line, and they say I'm scary is a nice callback to Flash's line in part one when, yeah. you know, it comes up Batman's like, you know, he's like, you keep kryptonite in your belt, and he's like, call it insurance, you know. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Mercy shows up, and Lex is still digging in on her, talking about her wants and needs. He won't let her think he needs her. Mm-mm. He wants her to know she needs him. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's totally, you know... Gaslighting narcissist. Yep, yep, yep. The way they break the armor down is exactly how Tony Stark used to stow his Iron Man suit in his briefcase. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, these specific... Yeah, just like little, like little accordion, like... Yeah. You know, which... That's where they get the whole, you know, suitcase armor thing from the, the awesome scene in Iron Man 2. But, you know, yeah. but I mean, in the comics, he would like collapse it down and the arms and the legs and the boots. And that's why the boots and the gloves have the rings on it yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. Kind of like those old cups that you could get that go, shoop, yep. you know? Yep, exactly. Flash runs off with Green Lantern and Superman instead of checking the sewers, which is a nice fun bit for him. He's like, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to check the sewers. No, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> Now Jean is questioning why he's fighting for these petty humans, and this was before social media, so he'd leave Earth for good now, I'm pretty sure. Uh-huh. So yeah. <laughs> It's subtle, but when Flash gets blown a half a mile away from Ivo's house when it explodes, Superman is still standing there when he runs back up. Mm-hmm. So basically, like, the house blows up, and Superman is just like, well, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and Flash is like, hey, I'll be right back! You know, basically... <laughs> I like the trick Green Lantern did with the tube from the creek to put out the, the fire. fire. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That was pretty so cool. So see, he's creative. He's Just getting, give him time. He's getting creative. And we already covered Comfort and Joy where he got real creative, but, you know, that's later in the season. So. Right, 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 right. So we jumped ahead on that one, I know. Lex has safe houses everywhere, it seems, and it's kind of scary that the modern Batman isn't too far removed from this version of Lex, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's quite a few similarities between those two characters if you think about it, but... Uh, the conversation between Lex and Mercy continue to be very interesting. She's helped him, and she's ready to walk away, but he insists she's doing this for herself, not him. She misses their immoral acts, among other things, and the other things can only mean one thing, really. Mm-hmm. The way he's looking at her, and he's got grabbed her by her shoulders. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. the it. Yeah, it's the it. Yeah, yeah like Kelso says. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Doing it. Is it. That's why they call it doing it. Mm, see? <laughs> Amazo scans the city, finds a bald guy in a purple shirt, and assumes it's Lex. That's it, hilarious. The guy seems to be voiced by Michael Rosenbaum, which is even more hilarious because, of course, he was playing Lex Luthor. At, that, at Smallville. Uh, Smallville yeah. at the time, yeah. 
This bit also reminds me of the scene Tom Mikowitz often mentioned that was in the original draft of Superman the movie script before he rewrote it, where Superman is hunting for Luthor, finds a ball guy on the street, grabs him, turns him around, and Telly Savala says, Who loves you, baby? Oh, <laughs> cute. I never heard that. Yeah, well, thank God it wasn't in the movie. I, mean, I know, <laughs> but it's cute. No. <laughs> that should have been Batman 66 can have that. Superman the movie didn't need that. Okay. Uh,. <laughs> Notice Mercy, a legitimate businesswoman, is still packing a gun, uh-huh. which which she fires at Amazo when he enters the warehouse. So, does she pack one all the time? If so, why? Is it just because she's a high-level CEO of a mega-billion-dollar company? Well, you know, I think she came from the streets. It's still that part of, that's ingrained in yeah. her. Yeah, or, is she, or does she just pack it because she knows she's dealing with Lex? You know? I think she packs it always. I think she packs it always? Okay. Mm-hmm. She's okay. She's way more than okay. Mm-mm. What? Just something he must have picked up. Amazo hits on Mercy, which we were talking about before, which he picked up from The Flash, but it also works in with him now questioning Luthor and refusing to follow his orders. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the teen years, Lex. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the leader of the search team is voiced by Tom Kenny, most famous as the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants. But he was also Plastic Man on Batman, The Brave and the Bold. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Jean hearing the minds of people during a selfless act is a nice touch. Humans often behave better in crisis when something bigger than their own problems presents itself. So it's a nice, true. It's a nice little bit there. Yeah. Lex and Amazo must have done a shoddy job of burying Ivo because I you mean, can see his hands sticking out. I know they said the creek washed away some of the dirt, but they literally look like they just like. Oh, there's a there's a pile of uh, mulch out in the back. Just throw it in there. Yeah. You know, basically. I mean, he's not wrapped up or anything. His arm's just sticking out there. Yeah, I, I mean, but it's like, you know, if if they showed it, like, in a grave and, like, and, you know, like, from the perspective of, like, worm's eye view of, like, looking up and, like, they're, like they're looking into a grave, but the dirt washed some of the grave away and you could see him like he wasn't six foot under, obviously. Right. He was, like, two, maybe, like, a foot or two deep in mm-hmm. the ground. It'll make more sense than just like, yeah, they threw him in a pile out back. <laughs> but by the same token, that shows Lex, you know, that he, is his true regard. He can't use he him can, anymore. He he's, can't be bothered. Yeah, he can't yeah. be bothered. He can't show any concern. Eh, you know. Yeah, and he's not going to be there that long, so he doesn't figure anybody will find it. You pointed out that it's surprising that they got away with showing a corpse or the hand of one twice on these episodes. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that Flash found the body because we'll learn later that Wally West is indeed a CSI like Barry is in the comics, and of course on the, the TV show. Right. So that's that's kind of interesting. Uh, we see the plan several times, but we never learn what the acronym AMAZO stands for. I know. We never, is an android, multi, you know, android mimic, mimicry, Amalgamation, something, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we'll get back to that later. Zebra other, I don't Zebra. know. Zebra. <laughs> so Lex pulls the old parent trick. I need help cleaning out the basement, but I know you're busy. Go on and do your thing. I'll just work myself into a heart attack while you're gone. You know, that's, mm. <laughs> you know What I think's interesting, and I don't know if you caught this, but when he's actually having heart pain, he grabs one side of his chest. But when he's faking it, he grabs the other. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. So he's not even doing it right. Uh -uh. (laughs) So I I noticed that. I'm like, wait a minute. That's a separate side there, buddy. Bad acting, Lex. I love how Mercy is watching all this. It's something she's been on the receiving end many, many times. She's just kind of rolling her eyes like, oh, God. I know what's going on here. 
John finds a little girl and appears to her as a Martian Manhunter, which is interesting because he could have assumed a human form, or, you know, we later see him in a John Jones form in this season. Right. So, you know, but no, he appears to her as the Green Martian guy, you know, rather than, <laughs> but, you know. But, the, and, and it's kind of weird because the search party doesn't seem to recognize him. They're not like, oh, it's the guy from the Justice League, or it's, it's kind of weird, you know, that they don't, and yeah. they live in Metropolis or outside of Metropolis. Well, I don't know if they don't recognize him in so much. I mean, because they don't act scared or anything. Well, they don't. They run up to him, but they're like, thank, I think they see something like, thank you, whoever you are, or something like that, which. But I think it might be a question of they recognize he's part of that group, but not realize his okay. individual name. Oh, well, maybe. I mean, you know. Maybe so. Yeah. So what did you think of Wonder Woman's hug? I don't know. I mean, she is the compassionate one of the team, and she's like, you know, hey. You know, and you see that later on. There's always a special link between Jean and Wonder Woman. Yeah, even in the last episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so. true. Yeah. I wasn't sure it worked at first when we first watched, rewatched the episode. Uh, but on second viewing, I get the impression she watched the whole scene play out when he appeared to the crowd and mm -hmm. brought the girl. And I mean, she didn't see him when he was like, you know, all distraught in the forest in his Martian form. No, but, no. But, you know, she watched enough to know that, you know, and then come gave him a hug. And she knew he was having a hard time about something. So, uh, Batman's smug one-liner gets shoved back in his face with the Mazos. I learn and adapt and evolved. Because, mm -hmm. you know, Batman's like, you know, you never, you know, say, some people, even androids never learn or, you know, it's so... And he's now as powerful as Superman with absolutely no weakness. And that that's pretty scary. And the scenes played really well. So I thought it was kind of shocking. He throws the kryptonite at Superman. Yeah. And it like explodes on his chest. And it's like there's dust and like a little bit of electricity. And uh -huh. it's kind of cool. Yeah. And it's pretty hardcore. And luckily Flash is there with the, you know, whirlwind assist, which is always a fun sight. I'm, you know, always, I'm always a sucker for when Flash does stuff like that. So uh, the fight with uh, Amazo and the rest of the league is, again, very well done. And we get now Diana's telling John to stay back. Which, of course, is a great idea in theory, because right. with all the powers he's got, I mean, you're basically taking another Superman plus his telepathic powers, right. plus his invisibility and phasing powers, and yeah, so, yeah, stay back. <laughs> Which, of course, he doesn't. Uh, Green Lantern is holding his own until Lex shows up, and then they double-team him twice. You know, they blast him, and which, I, you know, it's nice to see that, you know, Green Lantern's, you know, I mean, he should be pretty powerful, you know, right. obviously, so especially with his willpower, as they've established on there. So do we think Jean read Lex's mind before, so he knows what Amazo would find? Or do we just think that Jean knows that Lex is a scumbag, so he had to be manipulating him? What do you think? I don't, I, I think that's one of those cases he knows Luther. I mean, okay. you know, it's, yeah, he knows his character. Yeah, probably so. What did you think about Lex actually blowing his head off? It tells you how ruthless he is. Yeah. You know? I mean, if that didn't send the guy, I mean, if that didn't tell him right there that everything he told you was an absolute lie, then mm -hmm. nothing did, yeah. I mean, he really rips into Lex, and I love Flash's line. I say we let him waste each other. Since when do we do what you say? <laughs> and Hot yeah. Girl's response is, since, since when do we listen to what you say? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. To me, it's one of those cases that you think, Hawk Girl treats Flash as like a junior member. Oh, yeah. She does not respect his abilities, and you know. No, at this point, she really does, more so than anybody. Well, Green Lantern does a little bit, but I think he gives him a, like a little younger brother type mm -hmm. vibe to him. 
but Hot Girl, you know, but, you know, Flash is also, uh, you know, he's constantly hitting on the women at this point mm-hmm. and everything. So, I mean, you know, you can understand why, you know, she doesn't want to put up with that. Yeah, definitely. So Amazo's and John's arcs in this story parallel each other really well because both just got a rather nasty lesson of what humanity can be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jean gets a different perspective, you know, later on. But Amazo, with his evolving consciousness, he just decides humanity isn't worth the trouble. Yeah, I mean, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. And with his power, you know, that he is now that he now has, that's that's indeed a, a scary thing. You know, I mean, he they're, they're very glad he flew off, right? <laughs> Cause, right? Because I mean, you could say, you know what, you people got to be wiped out. I'm, you know, that's basically, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Superman gets to pick Lex up by the collar, which is, you know, always a good visual, uh, and gets the final word in, which is, again, always a good thing. So that was nice. So what did you think about Mercy hanging up on Lex? That's going to come back and bite her in the ass. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think it does, actually, though. She does return, but I, I can't... Apparently, she returns in the episode Clash with Captain Marvel, but I don't remember what she does in that episode. Uh, mm. But that's right around the time that we don't want to get too many, you know, get too spoilery for JLU, but that's when Lex is, you know, seemingly I turned the uh, turned a, over a new leaf is is really, you know, he's really hitting that hard and is making Superman look bad. It's mm-hmm. basically a smear campaign against Superman and the Justice League. So, um, so she gets involved in that somehow. I don't remember. I don't want to go back and watch it until we get there to, to it. Yeah, yeah I don't. I'm, I mean, I obviously remember that episode. It's very memorable because it's the only one that Captain Marvel Shazam. Is in. I hate having to do that. God, he's freaking Captain Marvel. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but I don't really remember her part in it. So I think this is another home run episode. What do you think? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, they've hit their stride. Yeah, uh, they look took the concept of Amazo and used it to examine how outsiders would view humanity and all its foibles. And I'm not. But also, it's saving grace too when you talk about the little girl. You right, know? right. That's true too. Yeah, and Jean shows us that. You know, that, yeah, they're, you know, yeah, it's not all bad, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it makes sense, you know, that he would, you know, one's got a, you know, and, and, and Amazo is, is, you know, Jean is embracing, somewhat tr- still trying to embrace humanity. Amazo has decided it's just not worth it. Yeah. And he's just, you know, he's evolved beyond it, so he's moving on. Again, there are some great seeds planted here that will bear fruit in JLU. Spoiler warning, but this is the last we'll see of Amazo, and like we said, of Mercy for that matter. Mm. So keep your ears peeled for, for more on them as we go along. Power action feature. Now under our features, power action features. There are tons of great action beats mm. in this one. But I would say Jean going against convention and letting Amazo copy him. Just so he can experience what Lex was really thinking. I think that was a brilliant move on his part. Mm -hmm. Little risky, (laughs) but brilliant. And it tied their two stories together so well. Mm -hmm. I'd have to agree. Yeah, I think that's the one. Rotating chairperson. What about rotating chairperson? Kind of hard to say in this one. I don't know. In a way, I would almost think it would be Wonder Woman. Because she was able to bring John John back into the fold. Hmm, okay. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, I can see that. And she, when she was like, why didn't you tell me he was as strong as me? And, you know, wanting all the details of it. Yeah. You know, so. All of them had a pretty strong showing in this mm-hmm. one. This was, this one, I mean, everybody got a chance to shine in this one. So, I, I may give it to Superman again. He seemed a little more in charge just because partially it's Lex. It's in Metropolis. They're in his mm. town. But 
Yeah, I can see giving it to Wonder Woman, too. So, I think either one would work. Again, like I said, I mean, you've got a note here about it was his idea to do the mind sweep. But in my notion, he didn't follow through on that. Because if you are in charge, you protect the people you're in charge of. Right. Yeah, he should have stayed with him when he did. Or somebody. Somebody should have. Yeah. Yeah. Justice League Communicator. I think uh, for Justice League Communicator, I think Superman's line about, then if he comes back, why do I feel like you're going to be doing a lot of praying? I think that mm-hmm. is a good, a good, like a setup. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good setup. It's a good line. And, and, you know, cause Lex scoffs at him being a God, you know, he's a machine, you know, and it, it directly ties into what's going to happen when he does return mm-hmm. in an episode called the return. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Comic connections. For comic connections, the creators, as we said, melded Amazo's origins with the character of the super adaptoid from Marvel and came up with a real winner. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, I found out at one point after this episode was created and aired, the super adaptoid left for space having had enough of humanity. Oh. I don't know if somebody at Marvel was watching Justice League or it just was a, you know, a parallel thought, but uh, interesting, yeah. So, like we said last time, not so Superman count, retired, hot girl magic mace meter, retired, nothing sticks out in this one. Superman was very tough in this one. Hot girl's mace didn't really do anything it shouldn't have have or anything, so yeah. But we do have Electricity is Evil. Electricity is Evil. Because it was hilarious, because when it happened, I'm like, electricity? And you're like, is evil. Yeah, yeah. Hot girl gets zapped by electric fence, but the real one is when Lex Bear hugs Wonder Woman while frying her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, overall, great episode. Mm -hmm. We'll take a quick break, then when we come back, we'll have your feedback on episode 14, the season two premiere with our very special guest, Rich Vogel. It was a golden age. Our Martian civilization was at the height of its peace and prosperity. White Martians came from beneath the planet's surface, bringing fire from the planet's guts, and they burned us all. I lost my family. Came to Earth when my civilization was destroyed. Detective John Jones is what you might call my human alter ego. I'm not the only thing from outer space that's come, but right now I'm the only thing that can stop alien invasion. My name is John Jones, also known as the Martian Manhunter. I'm Mars' sole survivor. There's a reason for that. I will defend Earth. The Idolhead of Yabalu podcast available to iTunes. Shout Engine. Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International Blahaha Podcast coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? Okay, we're back, and as we said, we're going to cover feedback. Thanks to everybody who liked and shared the episode, but we're going to cover the feedback at firewaterpodcast.com. So, you going to read the first one? All righty. 
Rob Kelly writes in, Great job, Franklins. Awesome to hear from Mr. Fogel, and it was great learning some of the behind-the-scenes stuff of making the show. Rich's super-secret future project is, of course, Ultra the Multi-Animated Series. <laughs> I'm sure it is, Rob. I'm sure oh, that's yeah, what yeah. he's doing. Ult- Ult- Ultra the Multi-Alien, as Rob said. Uh, Dan S. wrote in to say, Wow, what a treat to listen to Rich Fogel talking shop. Great interview, Chris and Cindy. And respect to the librarians of the world. So there you go. Yeah, well, no longer a librarian, but thank you. <laughs> well, tell them. They don't know. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> starting um, at the end of February, I have taken a new job with the school system working as the coordinator of the after-school program at one of the local elementary schools. So yeah. really excited about that. I'll be able to have some more time with the kiddos and stuff like that, especially Danny. And so, you know. Right. I'm no longer a librarian, so. Yeah, yeah. Which was kind of hard for you, but this was a really good opportunity. It was, it was. I mean, you know, it was a hard decision to make, but at that same time, ultimately, it was the right decision for us at this time. Right. Joseph Holmes writes in to say, Congratulations on getting Rich Fogel on the show. I enjoyed his behind-the-scenes anecdotes. As always, thanks for making the show and giving me some enjoyment on a dreary, rainy Monday at work. Boy, I know that feeling. Podcasts save a whole lot of Mondays, that's for sure. <laughs> and Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and Fridays. <laughs> Liz, the ones that ends in days. Yeah, the D-A-Y days, yeah. Liz Ann Oswald wrote in to say, Impressive podcast, most impressive. Ah, Steppenwolf. His toy looked cool from superpowers. Could never find him on the peg. Bats I got. Hal Green Lantern I got. Mr. Miracle I got. My cousin got Superman, Red Tornado, Joker, etc. But neither of us could get Steppenwolf. Yeah, there, uh, Lizanne started a, a, a lot of talk about the Steppenwolf action figure, which was cool. And, and, uh, me myself, I never had Steppenwolf as a kid. I think because I got, I think that he was offered on the, as a mail in in later waves of the first series when they were shipped out mm-hmm. in, in advance of the second series. And I already had them all. So I didn't have the order form. I probably could have like copied, wrote it down or something and mailed in for it. But I wrote in and mailed in for the the membership, the fan club kit, which mm. got like a little poster that was signed by all the heroes and, and all that. A newsletter. I got one newsletter. I thought I was going to keep getting them, but you get one newsletter mm. and, or something else. And So I never got him. And I never saw him in the package either because they later released him in the package. So well, there's a lot of Steppenwolf talk as we go along. Okay. Siskoid writes in to say, now that they're movie stars, the prices on old figures are going to soar. <laughs> yeah, he was talking about the Steppenwolf and Cyborg figures in mm. particular were hard to find. And yeah, I'm not sure that Justice League movie is going to help to sell any of those figures. No. <laughs> Especially Steppenwolf because actually both of their CGI is pretty horrid looking. If, you know, I mean, I, I'm not, I actually enjoy the Justice League movie, but yeah, undercooked. It is undercooked. That's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, Gothos Mansion wrote in to say, I got Steppenwolf as a free premium by mailing in proofs of purchase. That's the mail-in order we're talking about. I wish I had left my superpowers in the pack now and waited to get them, get him in the store. I don't remember if Steppenwolf came with the superpowers record or not because I think that may have been another premium. I think he did come with a record. He was supposed to. I know that Clark Kent was a freebie. Sigh, they just didn't want us keeping our figures in the package. I don't have a cyborg either. Well, I've told this many times, but it, why not? It bears repeating here. I do have, I did order the Clark Kent and got him. And famously the sticker, which I have a, a Batman in the package that has the Clark Kent sticker on it. And it says may take from eight to 14 weeks. Mm-hmm. 
It took the full 14 weeks for him to arrive to the day because I was counting them down on a calendar. <laughs> I was waiting at my mailbox like Ralphie for his little Annie, little Ovaltine, orphan Annie yeah. the, the, decoder ring from Ovaltine. But luckily, there wasn't a crummy commercial. It was a really cool Clark Kent action figure that I got. So, But it did take 14 weeks. I think the line was pretty much canceled by then. So. <laughs> Doug Vandiver objected a bit to Brainiac's portrayal on Superman the Animated Series and how it might affect future media portrayals. He writes in to say, I guess the objection I have is this. Of course, the intention was good, but the impression I came away with was that Superman animated series writers might have felt Brainy's backstory needed to be linked with Krypton's destruction, that they thought a need existed that they were feeling to make him into a cool character that he wasn't one before. But the thing is, he was. From the early appearances on through the years, Brainiac remained consistently among the elite of DC's villaindom, just generally overlooked outside the funny book medium. Generally, not always. Legion of Doom member sounding like Lurch? Come on, who wouldn't love that? The redesign for superpowers? Ingenious. These are just a couple of hallmarks that Brainiac already could have, Krypton connection or not. Stood alongside the top characters Tim and those guys brought to the animated franchise. Well, by 2003, the Brainiac character in the Timverse was established, and this episode, Twilight, delivered an excellent challenge for the Justice League in the dual threats of Brainiac and Darkseid. Your discussion of the episode and interview with Mr. Fogle was exceptional. Rich explained at one point that he had to liken Brainiac to Galactus for this story just to make their use of Brainiac have any appeal to Mr. Tim. Well done on Mr. Fogel's part. I applaud the creative thinking to convince the guy in charge. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and, and you know, and I, I, I do see his point because Brainiac is cool enough on his own. But I do, I do think that because Brainiac's origins had gotten very muddled over the years, like, they added that the fact that he was really a like a computer brain android after the fact, basically mm-hmm. after they you know first he was just basically an alien, and they changed it to you know he's from Kalu with a you know with their you know minds and they were basically like androids and you know then they had to somehow explain Brainiac Five and the Legion and and then like when they did Post Crisis they had him like first appear as the mentalist Milton Fine which I thought was. I did not like that. I thought that was a lame way to introduce Brainiac in the comics. I'm sorry. I, I love the, I love the post crisis Superman, but I did not like their Brainiac till they got him up and running. And like when they did Panic in the Sky, that's that about the time I like. Okay, now we got a good Brainiac. But so yeah, his his origins were kind of muddled, which left it open for them to kind of be more interpretive in their version. In my opinion, that's my opinion. Noah Ternow wrote in to say, I thought the STAS decision to tie Brainiac in with the history of Krypton was absolute genius. As well known as the character is, he's an official word origin in Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Brainiac, Brainiac has never had an iconic origin. So an elegant revision like this, whether to modernize it or simplify it or both, is the essence of solid storytelling. I clearly recall getting the Steppenwolf superpowers figure via mailing in proofs of purchase. As cool as it was, I'm still annoyed that he was that he was the villain of the Justice League movie. It absolutely should have been Starro. <laughs> that would have been cool. But what do you expect from Zack? I have no idea what Alan Moore's Watchmen was about. <laughs> Snyder. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, he released the Snyder cut. <laughs> Finally, don't know if I've ever commented this before, but perhaps my favorite thing about this podcast is how conventionally it shows that Cindy and Chris have a great and unique relationship. You two are awesome together, and I'd be heartbroken if I ever learned that I'm wrong about this. No, we are awesome together. You're right. We are. We are. <laughs> you know, 29 years can't be wrong. Right, exactly. That's right. You know? Yeah. 
that's what we joke. You would like jokingly told my dad something. You said something. My dad was out here earlier today, and you said something. I said, "Well, I put up with your shit for thirty years. I might as well keep doing it till I die." I know. <laughs> Smart ass. <laughs> he gave me a handshake. Always, that was a good one. So. Yeah, yeah. You got thumped by me. Uh, so I said, "Now you know why I keep a permanent bruise." Uh-huh. And he uh-huh. got thumped. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an equal opportunity person. Yeah, there, there you go. go. Michael Bailey writes in to say. Fantastic interview. Rich Fogel sounds like a nice guy, and it was great for him to sit down and give some insight into the show in general in this episode in specific. This is one of my favorite episodes of the second season, which is full of great episodes. Now that I think of it, this is in my top five favorite Justice League episodes in the first and second season. It's kind of a ringer in that regard, considering how much it featured Superman and continued his storyline from the animated series, plus adding Brainiac. Maybe it's unfair, but it's my list, so I get to decide what goes on it. Good for you. (laughs) Objectivity isn't part of favoritism. While Superman being angry is now a trope, back in the early 2000s when he got mad, it was a big deal. The greasy smear line doesn't work as well as if it isn't followed with, let's go. Actually, that's not my favorite Superman line. My favorite is the one that gets cut just before it can be finished. Hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I really want to know if there is a take where we get to hear Superman tell Brainiac to go to hell. I realized they probably had to cut it or knew it was never going to happen and never recorded it. But the cut in that scene is kind of abrupt, so maybe it was. I don't know. I'm not losing sleep over it. I'd just like to know. Yeah, we should have pointed out that line a little bit more. I think I included that audio in the episode, but yeah. Yeah. Fantastic way to kick off the second season, y'all. Looking forward to the rest of it, especially the Justice Lords. Which, by the way, are way cooler than the Rock Lords of the GoBots, which just sucked in general anyway. (laughs) Leave it to Mike. To bring up the Rock Lords. I, I'd almost forgot about the Rock Lords. And I had some of the toys and actually went to the... Not only did I see Transformers the movie, I saw the GoBots movie about the Rock Lords in the theater. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You were looking for something to do. <laughs> hey, what else was there to do in this town? You know, so. Good point. Ward Hill Terry wrote in to say, Fantastic job, Cindy and Chris. F&W has been getting some great interviews with a lot of significant comics and ancillary creators recently. Okay, I'm not going to whine about this version of Brainiac or the physicality of Darkseid or any other nitpicky thing I usually carp about. (laughs) However, I do object to bitchy Batman. That clip you played, get over it. Let's give that line to another character, shall we? Okay, Bruce, we get it. Your parents were murdered. You think you're the only orphan around here? Some of us lost not just our parents, but everyone else on our planet. Suck it up. A taciturn Batman is better. Yeah, I, I... you know, Batman is a little quippy in that episode, uh-huh. and, I, and, I, and I do think that, you know, Bruce Timm even said that, I think, in the commentary, that he went back and punched up Batman's dialogue. But I think part of that is, like, when you got Kevin Conroy there, right. you want to give him more stuff to say. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I, I do think that's part of it. And I think part of it, too, was because, you know, the other leaguers had to be on Earth, basically, when Superman was under Darkseid's control. Mm-hmm. The only one we knew, uh, well, the Flash he'd met. But the only one that Superman had a real relationship with at that point was Batman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it's Superman and Batman. But I, I definitely see his point. Okay. Tim Price writes in to say, Rich Fogel was a delightful guest. Yes, he was. He definitely is. Definitely. I was totally on the Smurfs bandwagon, getting up before the rest of my family to watch their cartoon. Me too. Um, yep. And now he's worked on so many series that I love. What a great interview. Congratulations. Inappropriate light ray was really inappropriate. He should know better. If he tried that with Big Barda, she'd tear his arms off, and he knows it. But he didn't know that Diana could have done that, too, so he doesn't know how lucky he was. Dang, I still love that Superman dark side slugfest. 
No sign of not so super in this story. Love, love, love. Till next time, Franklins. Oh, thank you, Tim. And yeah, uh, I should have mentioned, I, I should have mentioned that to, uh, Rich when we were talking to him, but I was trying not to, you know, keep him too long or derail the conversation too much. But I was a huge Smurf fan as a kid. Uh, watched the cartoon, had tons of the figurines. Oh, we still got a lot of them. Oh, I still got them when you were a kid. Pretty much all of them because my mom managed the Hallmark store Mm -hmm. and they carried them there. So, I mean, I had the mushroom houses, I had the figurines, I had all sorts of, it was all Smurf stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Kings Island in Cincinnati had the, uh, uh, Hanna-Barbera land. Mm -hmm. And since Hanna-Barbera made the Smurf cartoon, they, changed the Hanna-Barbera ride over to a Smurf ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had Smurf ice cream. And yeah, we were big into Smurfs. I should have mentioned that to Rich. But again, I was trying to not mm-hmm. keep him too long. We had a lot of stuff to talk about. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, Rich was a fantastic guest. I mean, he, he was so nice. And, and and Cindy, you got the book and you actually just finished reading it. Yeah, um, I hadn't had a chance until now. But I actually had the flu this past week. So I had time, you know, to actually sit down for once. Um, it's called A Diamond in the Rough. And it is set in the 1950s, and it's in a retelling of the Snow White story set in minor league baseball. And, I mean, it was really good, and I loved the the sto- storytelling setting and how he set the time frame and everything else. I mean, I could just see it in my mind as I was reading it. Cool. It was really good. I'm looking forward to reading it, too. I just haven't had a chance to yet because I'm you know, working on podcasts and stuff. But Rich also sent me a nice little print of the, uh, the that classic image of the Justice League, all seven of them standing with Superman in the middle and like the orangey gold background. Right. And he wrote to Chris, the world's finest fan, Rich Fogel. And yeah. I just made my day, I squeed. Yeah, he did. <laughs> He's like, <"Ee!"> Yeah. <laughs> so thanks again, Rich. We hope to have you back on the show sometime. Yes, most definitely. It was fantastic. Now, this book that Rich wrote, A Diamond in the Rough, is available on Amazon. So if you want to pick it up, it is a quick read. It's about 140-ish pages. And so I highly suggest you pick it up. Yep. Cool. Awesome. I'm going to read that copy here soon myself. Uh, That'll do it for this time. A special thanks to our Patreon supporters for information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Visit patreon.com slash fwpodcast or go to fireandwaterpodcast.com. There's a little Patreon button up in the corner. You can click it there. Speaking of listeners, here's an idea. Why don't you guys leave us a comment on fireandwaterpodcast.com and, of course, let us know what you think of this episode. Or any past episode. Or any past episode. But specifically in this episode, let us know what you think AMAZO should stand for. Mm. What's that acronym stand for on here or anywhere? Just let us know what you think AMAZO stands for. I know you guys are a bunch of creative people. You'll leave us some really fun answers. I'm looking forward to reading them. And we'll talk about them next time on the next episode, mm-hmm. which will be an episode which features another classic JLA villain making their DCAU debut, Dr. Destiny, the Skeletor lookalike. Actually, he looked like Skeletor before Skeletor did. So. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, he came first. So see you then. Bye. Bye. JLU Cast is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide and is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue mommy and daddy. Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast 
Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLUCast. He's the most deeply twisted man I've ever met. Of course I'll help you. Good. If he contacts you, let us know. You have my word. He hasn't already contacted you, has he? Don't you think I would have told you? The two of you are very close. I'm a different person now. Right.